Hey everyone, this is Paul Kingsbury. Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast, where we provide fresh perspectives to help you become a more sturdy, versatile, incredible leader and manager. Engage with us online at cutlassleadership.com and like and follow my Facebook page. And send me your questions and topic suggestions to cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Cutlass Podcast. Joining me today to discuss positional and legitimate power and its use is Command Mass Chief Matt Harris. He's a native of Wilmington, North Carolina, and joined the Navy in 1988, serving on submarines for 24 years. He was the chief of the boat of USS Texas, and he was the Command Mass Chief for Defense Information Systems Agency, Europe, which uh, was an agency composed of more than 8,000 military and civilian employees. And he's currently serving as the 20th director for the U.S. Navy Senior Enlisted Academy, which is the Navy's advanced leadership school for chief petty officers and sister service senior enlisted. And he also has a bachelor's of science in organizational leadership from the University of Charleston. So, Matt, welcome and thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. It's it's, it's an honor uh, to be invited to talk to you on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so with your experience in your current position, you were the first one that came to mind to kind of let's talk about getting into this buildup of all our power bases. Some people may know about them or heard of things as simple as position power or legitimate power, or they know they're in a position of responsibility and authority, but I still think it's productive to pause, have a conversation on the basics of this power base and how it can be used productively or misused. So let's start with that. Uh, Over to you on what's your take? What's positional power? What's legitimate power? And what does it do for a leader? Yeah, I mean, it's a great topic, Paul. And, you know, as a leader, and it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're in the Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines, or even in the civilian sector, you have to know where your power comes from. Position power, you know, there's positional power, there's personal power, and then there's different power bases. And at the SCA, we teach, you know, seven power bases and, and, and how they react and, and uh, with the situational leadership model and, and how to understand, you know, which which power base uh, you should pull from and use based on the readiness level of the people that you lead. So, you know, positional power is just that power that, you know, the, the leaders, the managers, you know, are willing to delegate their authority and responsibility for it. And, and, you know, positional power, it flows down in an organization. So everybody in an organization, you know, from the top all the way to the bottom, you know, kind of really get their power uh, from somebody above them and it's kind of delegated down. Yeah. So that's the first thing I wanted to get into is, how you actually get or earn or achieve a position of power, right? So from my perspective, to your point, it's delegated, but it's delegated to people who have earned it, right? They've demonstrated that they have expertise and character or that they use their expert and personal power bases to fulfill the responsibilities of the position they've been in. And they've also been able to uh, demonstrate the ability to use leadership and management skills to achieve the objectives of the organization and produce results, hopefully. So in one way, you're rewarded with this this power. In some professions, though, right, you have to earn it through degrees and certifications on boards and things. Once again, it all comes down to having your expert and personal power bases certified and verified. So when you think of doctors, lawyers, and other professionals like that, even military professionals, it's certified, and then you're you're given that positional authority to meet organizational objectives. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely, Paul. Like, 
you know, even the, 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 the most newest uh, doctor, you know, that, that graduates medical school and, and, and gets licensed as a doctor, you know, they're not given, you know, the promotion or the power uh, for the whole hospital. You know, they kind of have to prove their worth or, or, or prove that their knowledge, skills, and abilities to do that job consumer with the power that they're given. And so, like, you know, the way I look at it in the Navy is, you know, as a, a sailor comes through or an officer even, you know, and they, they learn their job and they, they, they gain that experience, the more power the, the organization, the higher uh, up, up in the chain of command, the more power will be delegated to them. So, you know, even that, that brand new officer that graduates from the Naval Academy this here soon um, is going to go to a ship and, yeah, they're going to be a leader day one. Um, but the amount of power they're going to be given from the organization is going to be consumerate with their, their knowledge, skills, and ability and their experience. Now, you know, that that personal power that they can develop with their subordinates, uh, it, it all relates to how they carry themselves. You talk about ethically and their ethical decision-making. Now, that will definitely buy into that personal power um, that they that they may have with their subordinates. Okay. Yeah, I want to get in that discussion a little later when we talk about how you erode this power base because – you can build these power oh, bases yeah. up, but they can also be eroded. So let's get into a discussion of a concept I think we use primarily in military context of RAA or responsibility, authority, and accountability. So with positional power comes responsibility, authority, accountability. But again, I think we teach this in leadership schools, definitely in military, but I think sometimes it just goes over one's every head and they just assume they go, oh, I got it, responsibility, authority, accountability. So let's talk about the importance of your responsibilities, roles, knowing relationships with your position. Yeah, I mean that 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 is a that is a, a huge a huge thing. You know, like you start with responsibilities. I mean, those are, are things that you are you are responsible for as a person, and you know you cannot delegate responsibility, um, you know, to anybody. You are the sole owner of of things that you are responsible for, and so you have a duty to to, to do those things and to be accountable for. Or, or, you know, for those those things that you're responsible for. Yeah, and it, it goes across in many things as a leader, right? They'll focus in on, you know, they have responsibilities to meet objectives or fulfill responsibility or, uh, you know, requirements. But there's also a responsibility for your people too, right? And their health and their performance. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, the responsibility thing, I mean, that, that's one of those, if you're responsible for something, at the end of the day, you're responsible. You can't, you can delegate your authority to get something done, to someone junior than you or one of your peers, but you still maintain the responsibility of it. So, you know, if it goes south or it doesn't get done, you're still held accountable as the, the, the responsible party. Yes. And then definitely, you know, the, the taking care of your people part, that's bread and butter of a senior NCO in, in the Department of Defense in any service, it doesn't matter, is the accountability and the responsibility, or the responsibility you have to your subordinates, to your followers uh, for their health and, and well-being. Yes. And then usually I see, I, I've come to learn two types of really responsibilities. You got general responsibilities and specific responsibilities. So your specific responsibilities are the ones that are usually captured and outlined in your job description. And then general responsibilities are ones that just maybe uh, not in writing per se, but they go with the professional aspect of your field or, uh, for example, the chief petty officer's creed, right, has some touches on some general responsibilities we have to do things that are not maybe written down or part of our specific responsibilities. You know, doctors in their creed, you know, the responsibility to do no harm. So there are some other general responsibilities. And I think it's important. What do you think to the extent that people actually review their positional authority or their responsibilities from time to time? Do you think that happens? 
Or do you see that they stray away from those and start doing the job they think they should be doing rather than the job that's been outlined for them in their written responsibilities? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't really speak outside the military per se, but I know in the military, you know, we're all part of the profession of arms. And so, you know, any, any person in the military, if they don't think they're a professional, um, they're wrong, right? We, we are a member of the profession of arms. Each service has a creed. You know, we have our sailor's creed, chief petty officers, we have a CPO creed, and they lay out kind of, you know, what we should aspire to be and how we should carry ourselves. And then, you know, specific positions and titles that you're given, um, you know, whether you're a civilian, you have a position description, um, job description, whatever, you know, in the military, you know, as a command master chief, my, my roles and responsibilities, these responsibilities are laid out in, a, in an instruction. And so, you know, those are like kind of the bare minimum things, you know, that, that I should be doing and that I'm going to be held responsible for. But outside of that, you know, me being a member of the, the larger profession of arms, you know, I have a duty to, to adhere to those two and, and, and to carry myself accordingly. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, that sometimes, you know, people stray away and they, they start doing the job that they they think they're supposed to do and, and kind of negating the things that they're required to do. And that, that can lead to a very slippery slope um, that can get, you know, a leader in a lot of trouble. Absolutely. Especially when it comes down to authorities, which we're going to talk here next. But, you know, to the listeners yeah. out there, when's the last time you've looked at that governing document, instruction or policy that outlines your responsibilities it outlines the roles you play. And then the other thing these documents do is they, they outline the relationships that you have with people above you in your organization and below you. So I think it's important to review those from time to time to make sure you're staying true. So let's uh, get into this concept of authority. So to meet your responsibilities, your organization then gives you authority. Um, and to me, authority gives several different things. So the first thing it provides you access to influence targets of some type, and we'll talk about that. Number two, it gives you decision-making power, right, to make decisions to meet your responsibilities. It gives you the right to give orders and direction and to have that orders and direction followed. Any additional thoughts? What do you guys teach up there about authority? Um, I mean, that's pretty much you hit everything on the nose that, that we talk about. You know, and how authority, it provides that decision-making power, right? So, so if I have the authority to make a decision that I'm expected to make the decision, right? Like, um, and that, that goes back to our power. We talk about, you know, power is a matter of perception. You either use it or you lose it. We talk about authority and that, you know, authority is more than just giving orders and, 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 you know, expecting people to follow it. It's also, you know, with that authority comes that responsibility. And if, if I, as, as the director of the senior listed Academy, you know, if I have the authority to make a decision, the staff here, uh, and the Navy is expecting me to make that decision, and then I don't make a decision, then then I can lose that 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 power, right, or that power that's perceived that I have the authority to make that decision, and they will look elsewhere for that decision to be made. Yeah. So this gets into that interesting space of of leadership, right? Is you can, especially with authority, right? Some people will go to the full extent, and they know it, right? They'll go to the full extent of their authorities and leverage them. Some don't, right? So. Uh, and there's a third group that will overstep their authority, right? Oh, yeah. um, and two of those are bad. So what have you seen or what advice would you offer people that uh, to make sure they manage their authority properly? I mean, again, it goes back to just understanding, you know, uh, your position and what authorities that you have and what responsibilities. In my personal experience, you know, I've seen uh, chief petty officers, you know, in the Navy that, that kind of overstep their authority with their division officers. You know, their division officers come in and they're young and they don't have the the uh, experience level that a chief petty officer has doing, doing that job, you know, and that, that chief's been 
you know, doing that job, whatever his rating is, you know, for probably 10, 13 years, and then he gets a brand new incident that comes in week three into their, their division officer uh, tour where that chief kind of basically starts taking over the authorities of the division officer and starts doing things that, you know, is, a, is, is not his, he doesn't have the authority to do. And that, again, if that division officer, you know, doesn't, doesn't step in and kind of check that chief, I, I've seen that before where the chief kind of oversteps his authority. Yeah. And I think you see it too, when there's an absence of decision-making or timely decision-making, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. People without necessarily the legitimate authorities will step in and make those decisions and they may make the right decisions, right? Especially in a, an emergency situation. Um, as long as those things are lawful and the intent is good, I think there's aspect of, you know, I'll ask for forgiveness later when I know we need a decision needs to be made and, it, and there's no one here making that decision. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, in the military, um, you know, on a ship, if there's a fire, if there's a damage control situation and, you know, the officer that shows up or the, the senior NCO that shows up um, kind of shuts down and, and they have the authority to make decisions to direct, you know, damage control efforts. If they don't, you know, part of being a, a petty officer, part of being a, an NCO, you know, in the military is that, you know, in the absence of orders, you take charge, right, and you lead. Um, and so there's certain situations where that might be uh, understandable and forgivable, but, you know, not, not always. And so, you know, as a leader, you have to, you have to figure out, uh, you know, when, when those, those times are appropriate and when they're not. Yeah. And when you're delegated you know, authority, that's what you really delegate. We'll get into a little bit more is definitely having that discussion with that leader above you who's delegating authority to you on the lines, make sure everyone's clear on the lanes, what decisions can be made by who. I think a lot of that talk up front helps alleviate some of this. And then for those in authority that tend to lean back from the full extent of it. Hey, just know that your authority is backed up with laws. It's backed up with regulation and it's usually backed up with some type of leadership support. So as long as you know your responsibilities and you're trying to meet them with good intent, you should, shouldn't feel hesitant to use the full extent of your authorities. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then the third part of this, the other A is the accountability. So let's talk about that. What's accountability to mean to you from the perspective of positional power? Lens of positional power, um, accountability is just that. Um, you know, you don't shy away from it. You don't pass the buck. You know, you are accountable for your actions, and you're accountable for the actions of the people that you that you lead. And I mean, that that to me is is kind of the bottom line. And again, it goes back to holding yourself accountable too. You know, there, there's a there's a part of that that that's that's internal that a leader. You know, you should strive to be the example that you want your sailors, your, your followers to follow, right? You, you have to be that example. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent about deeds, not words and, and showing what right looks like, no matter what, what the situation, but you know, accountability is huge. And again, it's something that you have to hold yourself to. Yeah. You start uh, with part yourself. Of our CPO creed talks about it. Um, you know, the sailors creed talks about it. It, it, it talks about accountability and, and, and living up to that expectation. Yeah. And it's to your point, right? It's accounting for everything in your sphere of influence from that position, right? So your people, your resources, your responsibilities, all that stuff. I agree. It starts with self. It's about taking ownership for those things that you're responsible for. And even, you know, there's some general responsibilities that go with being a military professional that some people shy away from. You know, there's, if you read, uh, you know, in naval regulations, there's general responsibilities to help enforce good order and discipline. And uh, some people don't take that on when they get advanced to petty officer or positional leadership. Uh, and when they don't take self accountability, 
you will be held externally accountable, right? And I think people often confuse punishment and discipline with accountability, but only in the context of when you don't take it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to me, leadership 101 is is leading by example, right? And, and I mean, you know, how, how are you going to hold anybody else accountable uh, for something that you don't hold yourself accountable for? Okay. You know, there's no, you, you lose all credibility yes. when that happens, so... Okay. Uh, so let's get into this concept of delegation that goes with this position power, right? Because you have, as you lead and manage, and I'm glad you brought that up, right? We are managing things throughout the day. It's not just influencing things. So you are planning, organizing resources, you're directing the actions of the organization, and then you're using the controlling function to verify that you're on target. But to do all those things that you're typically responsible for, you just can't do them by yourself. So you're usually going to delegate down some of that authority and that decision-making power to people in your organization. So what are your thoughts on delegation, the risks with it? How do you choose who you're going to delegate and not how it touches on the situational leadership model? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great uh, question. And I think, you know, empowerment as a leader is a superpower, right? When, when you do it right, you know, because it helps, it helps shape and it helps develop future leaders, right? So as leaders, one of our job, it should be, you know, training our relief. We hear that all the time in the Navy, but, you know, a real good deliberately uh, developmental organization will try to develop leaders every day. And so, you know, empowerment is one of those. And delegation is, you know, delegating that authority down to somebody else is a good way to build a leader. But it's a double-edged sword, right? You have to be careful. You, you obviously wouldn't delegate, you know, authority to someone who's not ready for it. An example of that is, you know, they don't have the experience or they don't have the, 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 the knowledge to be in charge of that task. And so it really goes back to, you know, you, you touch on the situational leadership model, which we use here at the SEA kind of extensively. You know, somebody that you're leading whose readiness level is at R1 or, or you know, isn't ready for those kind of uh, those things to be delegated to them, you would never delegate to them. Uh, now, you know, readiness level of R4 or somebody who's high-performing individual, maybe an LPO of a division or, or a division officer, um, you know, that, that's somebody that, that the delegation and empowerment of that authority would benefit um, because they have the, the experience, they have the knowledge, the skills, they understand the organization, they understand how, how to do things, and it would help develop them as a leader. Yeah, and I think it gets back, once again, it's all about the decision-making, right? So you're going to make a decision. Um, decisions come with risk. They come with potentially harmful or fatal outcomes, especially in a military context. So when I'm going to delegate a maintenance action or supervision for a certain evolution that has outcomes that could be harmful, I'm going to look at their expert and personal power bases, right? And this is why those two power bases, as I'll talk in future episodes, are so important for you to develop and maintain. So I'm going to look like for someone who has competence in that area, has demonstrated it, that I've seen them execute it, and then also a person of character who I know is going to execute uh, with a sense of fairness and I can trust, basically. And once I can trust you, then I'll feel comfortable delegating some decision-making power to you on my behalf. Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad you, you talked about that, Paul, because trust to me is the one thing that kind of cuts through everything in leadership. You know, the, the, the followers have to trust the leader and the leader has to trust the followers. And, you know, trust is that common thread that kind of connects, uh, you know, all leadership concepts, in my opinion. And, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, maintenance and, you know, critical maintenance, safety of ship or whatever. You know, you can delegate the authority to that, that, that junior person or, or whoever 
to do that maintenance, but you can't, you know, delegate that responsibility. And so absolutely, if you realize that, you know, you're going to be held responsible for their actions, their decisions in that delegation, it, it should, you know, behoove the leader to choose someone who has all those requisite knowledge, skills, and abilities to perform the job. Yeah. And uh, for your leader or manager out there, they've decided to delegate. Um, they've assessed the character and competence of the person they're going to delegate to. We start to execute. What are some symptoms you should look for as a manager that you've delegated to the wrong person or that you need to kind of reinsert yourself in again? You expect what you inspect, right? So um, trust but verify. There's all, all those things, right? Um, so I would say, you know, it, if it's somebody that's the first time you're kind of delegating some, some kind of task to or, or delegating an authority to to get something done, you know, you want to have them kind of give you a status update or, 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 or you know, have that have that that touch point where you can kind of talk to them and kind of figure out where they're at. And usually in my delegation, when I've, when I've done this, you know, and I, I give a task to, to, to a subordinate or I give a task to a peer and I'm, I'm asking them to, to get it done, you know, I always expect some kind of report back or that open line of communication. If they're having issues cutting through something that they come back and talk to me. And my first kind of warning flare that goes up is if I delegate something and then it's silence on the line, you know, for a day or two and I, I'm not hearing anything back. That's kind of my like, hmm, I need, I need to check on that. I need to go talk to them and see if they're having issues or if they need help. Yep. So I think for, for this blends in a couple things. So things I would look like, you know, I would see as a symptom is like, okay, perhaps your, your team is missing timelines, right? There was a requirement for something, timeline got missed and you hear, hey, we didn't fulfill this maintenance requirement, not from the person you delegated to, but from someone else. Uh, I think you'll hear, you'll get a sense of personal frustration, right? That things aren't being met to standard or on time. You'll probably get feedback from team, right? From your team, some frustration on on the uh, on the person you've delegated with, with their skills, their leadership or management skills. And then perhaps your tendency to want to get in and micromanage certain aspects of a project could all be indicators that you're, uh, you've misdelegated a bit or... You need to monitor, like you said, and follow up a little more frequently. Because once again, you know, you've got to know the maturity of your audience you're delegating to. If you're delegating for the first time, it doesn't mean you just go full delegation in the situational leadership model. <laughs> you're probably in a coaching situation, right? Yep. I don't think you delegate to a person who you're going to be in the directing model to, because all that does is set you up for the acquisition of mi micromanagement. Am I wrong there? No, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and the same is, you know, you wouldn't be hands-on and, you know, in a directing manner to, you know, your followers are at the R4 level or, you know, that, that are ready to be delegated to or ready to have that, that delegation and that empowerment. You know, you know, it just that's where you, you come off as a micromanager. So, you know, it's up to the leader to understand the readiness level of the people that, that they lead and then appropriately, you know, delegate their authority that way okay. to the ones that are ready for it. All right, let's get into what are your thoughts on how you can strengthen your personal power base. So as much as it's defined for you and your professional responsibilities, your general specific responsibilities, you can actually enhance that, right? And I think we touched on this earlier. So let's talk about how personal and expert power and your use of your other power bases can either enhance or potentially erode your positional power base. Yeah, so at the SCA, we define personal power as the extent to which followers respect, feel good about, and are committed to their leader and to which they see their own goals as being satisfied by the goals of their leader. So, you know, personal power uh, in our power bases that we teach, you know, it 
the, you know, the expert um, information reference. It's, it's these power bases where your followers look to like, and, and a lot of that goes to um, the type of person you are. Again, deeds, not words, right? It goes to, um, are you setting the example of what you want your followers to be? You know, your standard, your people who follow you, their standards are only going to be as, as high as your standards. You know, so if you have low standards for yourself, your followers are going to have even, even lower. Personal power is eroded, you know, when, when people see you abusing that or, or, you know, if you have different rules for, from them. Yeah, um, let's talk about just that. from that, that aspect. Yeah, let's talk about some of those, uh, those hazards, right? Because once again, as you take a position of power, um, there's hazards that go with that, especially as you move into higher positions. And this is where people get uh, into ethical dilemmas and, and get fired. Frankly, they have their positional power removed because they misuse their authority. So things that happen as you progress up, number one, your scope of influence over people, the number of people you start to lead starts to increase and your access to resources within the organization increases and people want to do things and they want to please you, right? They want to get things done for you. So that sets up some stuff. And then you get perks that go with these positions too, right? So you get an office, perhaps you get a bonus, more pay. Some people get a parking spot, right? You get to travel, these are all hazards. So what's your advice on how you manage those risks and hazards that go with positional power? Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that's a, a great uh, point. And, you know, Simon Sinek, uh, he wrote the book, um, Leaders Eat Last. Um, he talks about it in there and, you know, he, he makes that concept that we all only deserve a styrofoam cup. And if, if you haven't seen that, or if the listeners haven't seen that, I recommend they just Google it, YouTube it and watch it. But that's kind of a perfect example of, you know, you can never forget that, and he uses the styrofoam cup example, um, but, you know, all these things that you get as you move up in the organization, as you make rank, as you get promoted, um, um, you know, you, you have to keep in, in perspective and just be humble enough to understand that that's not, I don't get that parking space because I'm Matt Harris and I'm, you know, this command master chief. That, that parking space is for the, that position, right? So that command master chief parking space is because I'm a command master chief, not because of anything, you know, me personally, and that I'm not always going to be a command master chief. And then when I'm no longer a command master chief, that that parking spot's not for me. And so it just, you know, really some of these pitfalls that you're, you're discussing is people kind of lose sight of, you know, why they're in that position. And that, that position, if I always say, you know, that, that as leaders in the military leaders in general, you're here to serve and not be served. And whenever you get that twisted, it's time, it's time to retire, right? It's time to go on. Um, you know, because I look at it as, my sphere of influence has gotten greater and, and I'm able to, to influence it and make these, these big decisions. Um, and that's awesome. And that's why I'm here. Not for all the things that I get because I'm in that position, not the parking space, not the big office, you know, not all these other things. It, the beauty of, of, of moving up and, and getting that, that, that extra power, right. Is now being able to make more of a difference and make, make things for people better. Not what can people do for me? So I think, you know, the big thing is just trying to stay humble, you know, trying, trying to realize why, why you, you chose to do this profession in the first place and then just making sure you don't, you know, you don't, you don't stray away from that. And then definitely having people that are willing to give you feedback, you know, people that are willing to tell you when you're, when you're, when you're straying off course and when you're acting or doing things that are abusing that power. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? All those things that go, what we call perks, if you view them from the perspective of those are tools the organization gives you to fulfill your responsibilities or meet your requirements, I think as long as you keep it in that perspective and not look shift it to like there are rewards for you personally, 
I think that sets you up for managing those hazards better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So you mentioned Simon Sinek. Uh, what other books would you suggest for uh, someone who wants to read up or strengthen their per- or you know gives advice or guidance on positional power and growth in that position? Yeah, perfect. So hey, the book we use here at the SCA, um, it's required reading uh, for all of our students that come through is uh, the tenth edition of Management of Organizational Behavior. Uh, Leading Human Resources is by Paul Hershey, Kenneth Blanchard, and Dewey Johnson. Um, it's really good because it talks about all those powers and how they're intertwined with the situational leadership model. Um, and it's just, you know, more, more reading other than the, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide about, you know, positional power kind of breaks down the, the, the situational leadership model. Um, Simon Sinek, you know, Leaders Eat, Leaders Eat Last. I mean, that's a great book, too. And then my personal favorite um, I kind of talked to you about early is earlier is uh, – Legacy by James Kerr, and it's about, you know, the New Zealand national uh, rugby team, the All Blacks, and, you know, the, it, it's, it's amazing, right? It's amazing um, kind of that culture of excellence they have there, and I think any organization, the, the Department of Defense and, you know, definitely the Navy, we can learn a lot about, you know, um, their expectations from their players and how, you know, the honor of just wearing that jersey and what it means to be a member of that team, um, if, if we could somehow capture that, you know, in the Navy and, and make our uniform the way they, they revere the All Blacks jersey and what it means and the expectations of them, if we can somehow bottle that in the Navy, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. So I recommend reading those books and, and then anything you can get your hands on, you know, about being a better leader. If you're truly committed to being a better leader, it, it starts with yourself and, and trying to expand your knowledge and, and, and just kind of eat up everything you can about leadership and from different lenses and different leaders. Any last uh, insights or suggestions on positional power? Um, you know, b- the biggest thing about power is, is power is perception. And, and if you don't use it, you lose it. If you're in a position and in that position requires you to make a decision to do certain things. And then if you don't do them, just understand as a leader, somebody else is going to step in and that vacuum and that absence of power and, and take that power. And so, you know, I, I hate it when, when, when I hear chief petty officers talk about, you know, or any kind of leader talk about so-and-so took my power. Or I have no power. They're not giving me power. You know, it drives me crazy because if you don't have power, it's because you gave it away. It's because you didn't use it. Um, and so I just say, you know, and, 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 you know, when you have positional power as a leader, use it or lose it. All right. Great note to follow on. I'll add a few questions for our listeners for self-reflection, things that you can take. Because just as I wrote in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide and the intent of these podcasts is to provide you some context, provide you some insight, maybe a little bit of social science, but then you take this stuff, reflect on it, grow from it, and go out and do something with it. So right now I would say, again, what are the responsibilities and authorities of your current position? Where are they outlined? When's the last time you've read them? And then I'd say, what are the responsibilities and authorities and position description for your next desired position, right? Because we want to grow and advance to the next one. So do you know what those responsibilities are? And then what you need to do in your expert power base and your personal power base to make you have potential to serve in that position. And then I'd ask, have you ever exceeded the scope of your authority or not met the full scope of your authority? And if so, why are you doing this and what were the outcomes? And then finally, what are the risks that go with your current position? Uh, some of the risks that we talked about earlier and what can you do to help manage and mitigate the risks that come with your positional power? Matt, thank you for joining me. 
continue. Oh, absolutely, Paul. I, I really appreciate it. It's an honor. And, uh, and, man, thank you. You know, you, you're continuing to, to help out, you know, um, not just the Navy, but the, the military in general um, and, and leaders by doing these, these podcasts and everything you do for USNI and, and you know, and, and making sure that we understand that there's a voice, that as leaders we have a voice and, and letting, us, letting us be able to speak. So I really appreciate uh, what you do for for not just the Navy, but, but, you know, the country, even though you're retired. So appreciate it, Paul, and thanks. No, thank you. And thanks again to our audience for listening to the Cutlass Podcast. If you want to learn more about the topic we discussed today or any other episode, you can check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or any of the resources we've discussed in the episodes. That can be found on the U.S. Naval Institute website or using the link in the episode description. So until next time, read, reflect, and grow. Then take what you learn and go make a positive difference in your professional and personal life.